Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to the Patriot Nation Podcast. Right, welcome into another edition of the Patriot Nation podcast. You got Pat Lane, as always, here with my man, Matt St. Jean. And as always, we are brought to you by FanDuel, the official sports wagering partner of CLNS Media. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston to sign up today. Uh, Matt, we got some interviews, uh, some press conference, maybe not interviews, we got some press conferences. I uh, I kind of liked it. I kind of liked what I saw. Yeah, it was, you know, it's a complete change of pace with the way they handled it. Um, and you can tell that was intentional, and I like it. Um, will it translate the product on the field? Who knows? But it's clear that they're establishing a new culture here. And I think, you know, to a degree, that was definitely needed. Um, you know, I think it starts off with the format for it mm-hmm. and the location for it. Instead of being up at the podium, Drodmo is sitting at a table lower and closer to the reporters and opening by talking about how he wants to be buddy buddy with them uh so very like right off the bat this is different um but i thought uh you know all all three coordinators plus gerard mayo and it took questions and i thought they all sounded very good yeah i'll tell you it's so funny because i never listen to felgrimas like never but i went out to the store today and i wasn't because i'm not it's because i'm not going back and forth to school this week I'm not up to I'm not like up on the podcast anymore. So usually even if I'm only in the car for five minutes, I'll throw on a podcast because I'm usually in the middle one. I wasn't. So I'm like, whatever, I'll just whatever. I'll just put it on the radio. I don't care. And Maz said something, Felger Maz Ron, and Maz said something that just that struck a chord with me. And he said that sitting at the table, the way they were, instead of sitting at the podium, sitting at the table reminded him of the way you would talk to a toddler. Right, the way that you would you would approach talking to a toddler. So you would say, you know, you get eye level with the toddler, and you, you know, and he was like, and he's like, but not when you're talking to adults. And I'm like, well, wait a second, that's the perfect analogy, because the Boston media is so toxic and childish that they kind of are like the toddlers in the room. I mean, it's kind of like you know they're going to turn on you the second things go wrong. You know they're going to be negative about everything humanly possible. They're going to be negative about. And so, but the, what's hilarious is that Felger Maz were then sitting there talking about, well, you know, I mean, the way they were doing it was ridiculous and it was over the top and it was this and it was this and it was this and it was, this, and they complained about it for five minutes. And then for 15 minutes, they went on and complained about the way Belichick handled the media. And I'm like, well, wait a second, you can't complain about both. You can't do that. Like it doesn't. And he yeah, Burge yeah. left, and Burge was the PR guy for that. And I'm like, wait a second. Like, wait a second. You can't sit there and say you don't like this, 
because it's different than what we had before. And then you can't also say, I hated the way we did it before. You can't have it both ways. And that, like, and it was just the perfect encapsulation of what these guys are dealing with and the way that they want to approach the media, the way they want to approach it. And that's fine because they understand the media is going to treat them this way no matter what. And so let's try to be a little bit nicer about it and then go from there. Well, and I think the key is authenticity. And like, I think that's true of Bill and Mayo and everybody we saw. Like, I don't, yep. I never had any issue with the way Bill Belichick treated the press at any point, especially in New England, the way things were. Um, and, you know, Bill's whole thing was, you know, he wanted to give away as little information as possible yep. for strategic reasons and also to protect his players. You know, he's never, he's never going to get too high on a player. Uh, unless they're an opposing player, usually. And he's never going to get too low on a player publicly because those evaluations are in-house and there's strategic reasons for that and also emotional reasons for that. You want to, there's no reason to throw a player under the bus. He's not, uh, he's not Rick Patino for anybody who saw those quotes from the St. John's head coach uh, last week, um, who threw his entire team under the bus after a loss. But, yeah. you know, Gerard Mayo is a different type of leader. And we've seen coaches um, be critical of their players to the press and praise their players to the press in ways that I think are fair. And Gerard Mayo seems to be a little bit more open in that regard. Um, and I don't think, you know, this isn't a one is better than the other type thing. They're different leadership styles for different locker rooms and different people. Yep. And We'll see, you know, I, what's going to make the difference here for Mayo, I think, is the X's and O's at the end of the day. But it's clear that this is a leadership style that can work in the NFL and has worked for him as a coach in New England before. And I'm excited to see where it leads. Yeah. Yep. Old man mob, I, I must say, uh, put it a lot more eloquently than I did. But <laughs> he doesn't care about the head coach and media people, whether they're friends or not. And no disrespect to any Pats media people out there. Listen, we love – I love a lot of Pats media out there. There's a lot of great – men and women that cover the Patriots that write, you know, authentic, real stuff. Okay. There's just also a lot of people that are just negative to be negative and that sells, unfortunately. And those people usually have the loudest voices. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, you're on the, you're on the right. You're, I think at least for me, you're on the right page here when you're talking about authenticity. And this is the way these guys are. This is who they are. And I don't have a problem with that. Like, this is who Mayo is. He wants a culture in the locker room. And he's hiring his guys to be culture guys, right? He's hiring, you know, Alex Van Pelt because he thinks he's a culture guy. He's hiring Jeremy Springer. I was imp thoroughly impressed with what I saw from Springer. And so... You know, he's hiring those guys because he wants them to be culture guys. He want, he has a certain way he wants to do things, and he feels like those guys can get across the message that he wants to get across. And and I don't have a problem with that, right? And is it going to be different than what Belichick did? Yes. Is that a good thing? Absolutely. That should be a great thing. Everyone should be happy about that. You know why? Because the biggest comp complaint about Bill O'Brien and Matt Patricia – and Josh McDaniels, and literally everybody else that left Belichick's coaching tree was they tried to be too much like Belichick, and it failed. And so now Mayo is trying not to be like Belichick. And I don't know if it's going to work or not, right? But that's not who Mayo is. And so you got to let him be who he is, right? And, and Bill was one way with the players, 
and another way with with the media. He was right. I mean, like that's that's a fact, right? And so you can see it in the documentary, which you know, watches the documentary, tonight. right? Which episodes yep. three and four are out right now, but but you can see it in the documentary. You can see the way he talks to people. You can see it in the in the '09, you know. Football, uh, football life with Belichick, where he shows up at the Halloween party and all the guys are going nuts, and he's talking about how you know what's better than dressing up in costumes and eating candy. Like you know, it's those types of things where you see who Belichick really is. But to me, it's like, man, you know, you just you can't catch a break, unfortunately, and and that's kind of it is what it is. But like, it is very, it can be very frustrating to deal with at the same time, you know. And so I understand that people are, I get that people are annoyed. Right. And I get the people, you know, don't like some things that were said. And it's very different than what we've seen for the last. But that doesn't mean it's not going to work. Right. And and some people listen, let's be honest. Some people just flat out being racist and we just don't need to pay attention to those people. And that's not everyone. That's a very, very select few. But like if someone has a problem with every single thing that Gerard Mayo says, it probably doesn't have anything to do with Gerard Mayo. You know, the yeah. head coach, it just has to do with the fact that Jeremy is black. And it's kind of like, what are we doing here? Like, just yeah. shut your mouth. You don't have to, we don't have to he's listen to you anymore, you know? Well, he's obviously qualified for the position. Uh, he's been a very successful at what he's done. He's been sought after. You know, if they didn't promote him to head coach, odds are he was going to go elsewhere, probably this cycle. Um, yeah. Or the next year. Like, that's, that's where things were with him. People really like him behind the scenes because of his... Yeah, on-field experience and off-field, you know, business leadership mm-hmm. skills that he brings to the table here. Um, but yeah, no, I thought the whole press conference was refreshing. Um, you know, we didn't learn a whole lot in terms of X's and O's, and that's about what I expected. It's February; they haven't even, you know, made final decisions on who's coming back to this team yet. Um, you know, we don't know who they're signing. We don't know who they're drafting. You're not even going to get close to real true X's and O's answers uh, if they if they ever decide to give those out until probably August. And that's right. the soonest you're going to get anything like that from the actual coaches themselves. So I wasn't surprised by that. I think I thought it was mostly, you know, your generic platitudes from everybody um, with some other stuff sprinkled in, which is good. Part of being a, a coach in the NFL is being able to handle the media stuff and get through the platitudes and not, you know, put your foot in your mouth. Right. Did that with a yep. couple endearing stories. You know, you got Alex Van Pelt talking about play calling in NFL Europe <laughs> and not having to worry about what happened. And right. Having no pressure in that environment and how he was able to learn there because of it. Uh, you got Jeremy Springer talking about being a kid watching Adam Vinatieri kick through the snow, you know, one against the Raiders um, as a kid living in Texas who'd never seen snow before and was fascinated by it. Um, which I loved. And but Demarcus Covington, um, I don't think we learned a whole lot in his interview because, you know, we've known him for a while, yeah. but you could, you could tell his confidence. Um, he's very confident in what he brings to the table. And he really wasn't, I thought it was funny that like, he wasn't really worried about getting the defensive coordinator job. It was clear that he knows what he is and he knows what he can do. And he was either getting this opportunity or he was going to get a good opportunity no matter what. Uh, and I like that, that steadiness in a coach. Yeah. So um, I thought everybody, Looks good. Um, excited to see, you know, what these words turn to when they're actual actions. A hundred percent. And by the way, I love the fact that we're getting stories about Mac Jones as believers in the building, because that means that maybe just maybe there's some trade value for him. Right. 
You can't have Alex Van Pelt stand up there and say, Mac Jones sucks and we're, we're moving on from him because no one's going to trade you anything for Mac Jones. Now, maybe they well, won't trade Mac Jones. Maybe they won't get anything. Maybe they actually do believe in him. I don't know. But right now, in this moment, on February 22nd, if you want the entire league to think that the Patriots think Mac Jones sucks and are going to cut his ass, no one's going to trade you anything for him. So that's not what you want, right? You want people writing those articles. Well, and not only that, I saw a quote that was taken so far out of context. <laughs> right. Alex Van Pelt talking about Mac Jones. Um, and the, the quote that was taken out of context was something along the lines of, you know, it's a clean slate and we haven't ruled anything out. Yeah. When you ask about a player who's currently on the roster, what his status is going to be. Correct. And the closest you get to an endorsement is, eh, you know. We won't rule it out, which is what they were saying. That is as far away from an endorsement as you can possibly get of a player who's yeah. currently on the roster. Like, right. they, the coaches went out of their way to basically not say that Mac Jones is going to be on this team. That's correct. Uh, and he might be. Uh, you know, a lot's going to happen here. But just the way they handled that, it's clear that, you know, they don't, they're definitely not married to the idea of starting him next yeah. year. And yeah. I won't be shocked if he's gone in a month. Um, here's the thing. Like, I'm not, I don't think it's the end of the world if they're like, yeah, we'll bring him in, let him compete for a backup job in August. Uh, if you, you know, if you draft a guy and sign the guy and you want to let him compete for the third string job or whatever, then you know, fine, it is what it is. If he doesn't have trade value, but if somebody's like, yeah, we'll give you a fifth for him, you know, you take, you it. take that. Right. Well, that's and that's the thing. If no one's going to offer you anything, what are you going to do? You can't, you can't force someone to take them, right? And I don't yeah. know if you necessarily need to cut them. Right, you can leave him on the team. He works hard. Clearly, he likes the guys in the locker room. He, he, you know, he tries. And so, to me, it's like, all right, like whatever. I can keep a guy like that around as yeah. my third string quarterback. That's fine. Oh, like, it's not. You can always cut him later if they don't That's cut cool. him in March or April. They can cut him when they cut down to fifty three. Right. You know? right. That's or someone has an injury. Someone has an injury, he looks good in camp. Someone has an injury, you get a third round pick back for him instead of a seventh round pick or whatever. You know what I mean? So it just, you know, yeah. I'm so far away from being worried about them thinking Mac Jones is a real starting option. Like, I'm not. Right. We don't get to that point. The the day you get to that point is the day that we find out practices are happening and Mac Jones is quarterback one in practice. Until that happens, like, right. We're not uh, – nobody thinks that because he ended, he ended the year as the third quarterback on the depth chart. Correct. Yeah. And so, so look, and, and Old Man Mob points out, by the way, Thad says uh, Mac and Gardner Minshew competing for QB1 would be – just that would be disastrous. Uh, that would That'd be, be something. Scenario. Uh, but Old Man Mob points out that, you know, people want to change, and now the change has happened. People are pissed about it. And I think – I do find it really funny because, you know, here's a guy, and Mayo was referring to Belichick as coach in his introductory press conference. He was talking about him as coach, right? And so, like, he referred to Belichick as coach. Clearly, there's a ton of respect there. And, you know, people are accusing of craft, basically, of, you know, whitewashing and, and washing out Belichick. And it, it doesn't make any sense. Mayo is there now. He's the head coach. He doesn't need to address the fact that Bill Belichick was the head coach there before him at every press conference. He doesn't need to do that. And he wants to do things his own way. He wants to set up the the relationship with the media in a certain way. He wants to do those things. Why is he setting up those expectations now? Because he wants it done now so that when 
the time comes for those things to happen, everyone knows what to expect. The players know what to expect, and the coaches know what to expect, and the media knows what to expect. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And people just take it out of out of context, in my opinion, where they look at it and just say, like, you know, well, they're just trying to say, like, it was terrible the way it was, and Bill was this, and Bill was that, and, and that's why they're – it's like, he's just trying to be his own guy, man. Like, you know, we just got to just let him do what he's doing, and don't – it doesn't say anything about Belichick. Right. And it, it's so funny. And I don't mean to interrupt you, but one more thing, though. The Twitter, there's there's like a, a screen, a screen, a screen grab on Twitter, which is like the most perfect thing ever. It's like the most evergreen tweet of all time where the guy said, like, Twitter is nuts because I could sit there and say that I love pancakes. And someone says, well, what the hell are you going to get waffles? And he's like, well, I'm not even talking about waffles. I'm talking about pancakes. Like, it's, yeah, just it's... let him be who he is. It doesn't say anything about Belgium. Well, and the other part, too, is that, like. You don't have to beat around the bush. Like things weren't good by the end of Belichick being here. Right. It's not like a shade on him. He was the greatest coach in the history of the sport for a quarter century, and then had had a real rough stretch with drafting and things bottomed out the last year. Yeah. That happens sometimes. It doesn't. It in no way changes the value of the things that came before it. You don't take away the Lombardi trophies because he went. He only had four wins his last season here, mm-hmm. but things mm-hmm. did get bad. Like they needed a change. Um, right, and that's okay. Like that's not an indictment of Bill Belichick, a human being. Life, this happens sometimes. Going this long with one head coach is yeah. more abnormal than keeping one for this. Yeah, then yeah. So um, no, I just we're not we're not reading into every Gerard Mayo press conference some hidden agenda against Bill Belichick, especially when there's a Belichick on staff stuff. Correct. Correct. And yeah, and no... they had offered jobs to both Belichicks. Yeah, Steve could have come back, but he wasn't I was the they liked Covington for DC and he wants to go off on his own and that's fine. Like I don't Yeah. I, I think the only bad blood here is what's being made up by people outside the building. Um uh, and I think you know, this is a high intensity business and in that you can get intense personal disagreements. Uh, that are also professional and don't leave the buildings. I'm sure there have been tense and angry moments between Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick. I would hope there have been. They, yeah, that doesn't mean when you step back that there isn't a lot of mutual respect and appreciation there. Um, you know, these things tend to be complex and trying to boil it down into just black or white is never going to encapsulate the full thing. Yeah. So I'm... Uh, this is where we are. I like the coaching staff we got. We'll see how it plays out on the field, but they all seem like good people who are going to resonate. <laughs> yeah, players. I agree, and that's and that's what I'm. That's what I care about, right? I care about. I I think I think that they all seem like they know what they're doing. They seem to have a plan, which is good, and that's what we care. And and look, we have no idea what it's going to look like, right? Like you said, we're not going to even talk about X's and O's for months. And they don't want to talk about X and O's, obviously, but like they're not talking about that for months from now. And I just, you know, like what do they look like on like on paper? Or I guess, you know, in front of the camera, they look good. They sound good. They sound like they know what they're talking about. They sound like they're ready to change things here. You know, you look at three guys. Van Pelt's been an OC before, but never called plays. DC's never call plays, right? And then, um, and then Springer's never been 
well, I guess he was the was he the special the head special teams coach in in LA. I believe he was the assistant. So he was the assistant, right? I'm pretty sure, right? So, so he wasn't. So you got three guys that are basically brand new coordinators in their roles, right? Again, AVP was a, was a coordinator, but he's never actually called plays for a full season. So you get three new guys basically, and a brand new head coach who's never been a head coach before. So you know, those are the things for me that I think are important. They come, they're coming in with the right attitude. I like to see that, and so. Yeah. You know, I'm happy with that. I'm happy with the way things look over there. I do Ole Miss, Mom Metzins, Taylor Embry, and Tyler Hughes, who I like a lot. Both of those guys. You know, and so, and we'll see. I mean, we don't, we have no idea. We don't know what the Ross is going to look like. We have no idea what's going on. But yeah. the first, first blush, I like it. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. And it's, you know, having a bunch of guys in new roles is also very much the norm in a lot of ways. And I'm sure there's going to be hiccups at some point, and that's to be expected. And it doesn't mean that it's a failure. It means that there's going to be growing pains as these guys get into their new roles and figure it out. Um, and that's why, you know, like we're not going to, going to reserve judgment on this until the end of the second year with these guys, unless things are, you know, so obviously gone off the rails that you kind of have to. Um, right. But no, you know, you, you grow through some of the stuff and these guys are young and they'll learn and they have some good assistance. They're going to help with that. Also, Thad Skywalker in the chat here asks, I want to know why Alex Van Pelt was fired by Cleveland. Um, my understanding of that situation from what I've read is that that was kind of ownership sticking in. Um, basically had a lot to do with making Deshaun Watson look good. And because Deshaun Watson hasn't looked good, they're like, all right, we're going to change the offensive staff and get people that suit him more. And, uh, you know, based on the Deshaun Watson we saw on the field last year, I don't think there is an, a coaching staff that's going to fix what's wrong with him. Um, but they right. are. When you This is the typical owner meddling when you spend a lot of money and it doesn't work. And you're like, all right, we're going to do this to make my investment look good. Um, yeah. Which, you know, is that, that never works out. And that's, you know, not what's going on here in New England. Um, Correct. But Pelt is, you know, the guy who's designed plays and experience. And, um, yeah. I also, it's worth noting too. One of the reasons everybody's so loud on Twitter is that there are a lot of Patriots fans, and they're all very loud, and yeah. they all express their opinions, but they only talk when they're complaining about something. So when things are bad, the people who hate Bill come out, and then the second Bill's gone, the people who uh, are angry with that come out, and there's going to be a lot of that. But right. Right, and, I think, and listen, I tend it's, to think this, the silent major, majority is behind, behind Gerard Mayo. I would agree. I would agree with you there. So we'll see. Um, I do think, though, you know, it's yeah. I, I'm I'm interested to see what we get out of these guys, and a lot of young guys. And someone mentioned we mentioned before in the pod, but like you bring in young guys, but then you also bring in older guys behind them to help as well. And I think that that's that's a key. And he even said we have a little bit of a bigger staff. We had a little bit of a smaller staff before, and you can't really do things like that anymore in the NFL. He's not taking a shot at Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick can do multiple things at once. He had veteran coordinators that could take care of multiple things because they know what they're doing. You can't expect guys that haven't done things to do multiple things. You just you can't ask them to do that. And so that's why you have more people on staff. Why do you have more scouts on staff? Because you want to get more you know, you want to get more voices in there. You want to hear what people have to say. And so, you know, it is what it is. But ultimately, what's going to happen is that this 
just like any other group, whether it be in the personnel department, whether it be in the coaching staff, is going to be judged on success on the field, right? And Mayo said that. He's like, you know, we want to win because that's how we get judged, right? And that comes down to having good players. Belichick's the greatest coach of all time. He's talked about it over and over and over and over again. The only way you win is with players. You have to have the players to win. He didn't have the players to win the last few years. That's why the teams haven't been good. And yes, is that mostly on him? It is because he was also the GM, right? And so it becomes one of those situations where you look at it and say, all right, now we have to get the right guys. And that comes from Elliot Wolf. And that comes from the scouting department. And that comes from the coaching staff too, because they want a, you know, that they have a specific vision, right? Like Wolf is the GM, sure. But it sounds like it's going to be a collaborative effort, right? They're not drafting. Yeah, if Jaden Daniels doesn't fit into what they want to do, they're not drafting Jaden Daniels at number three just because he's the best quarterback available, right? And so that's part of what has to go into it. And if they miss on those things and they miss on those players and they don't get good players in here, they're not going to last long. And that's really ultimately what it comes down to. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm not going to put the comment up on screen, but there's somebody saying that there's been a smear job on Bill and the media by the Crafts for over a year. No, the team won four football games and people voiced frustration about it and then explained right. how they got to that point. Yep. And and by yes. the way, I think that a lot, the problem is heavy is the head that wears the crown, right? Bill was the guy. He was the guy. He did everything. He was the GM. He was the head coach. He was everything. Now, again, I will say, and I've said this before, that if they don't spend money this year, if they don't re-sign Alwinu, if they don't re-sign Kyle Duggar, if they don't go out there and spend real money on real talented players, I'm not talking about mid-level talented players. I'm talking about going out, like really going out and like spending actual money on big-name guys. Well, we've been sitting here and Kraft's been blaming Belichick for not spending money. Hey, the checkbooks are open. And if he doesn't do that, now it's on him. He well, can't well, hide behind Bill anymore. And that's that's the one thing for me. And listen, I will say there are parts of it, and you'll watch the documentary. There are parts of it where Kraft kind of does a little bit of the flip-flopping and so on and so forth. And I, there are parts of it I didn't love some of the stuff he said. But again, Bill doesn't speak to the media that way. And so we don't get Bill's version of it. And that's – I don't think it's a smear job by Kraft as much as it is him just speaking his mind. Bill doesn't do that, so you don't get that from Bill. And that's not yeah. Kraft's fault. Bill doesn't want to talk about things like that to the media, and so you don't hear that from him. Well, and it's you know, and they did a joint press conference to end their time here. Like that's not usually yeah. how this it's goes. Not. Right. You don't usually say we're firing you, but also we're going to give you one last chance to talk to everybody and tell you how tell you how much they loved it. Like that's right. no, that clearly things are good behind closed doors if that's how it is, even with everything. And you know, for all the cash stuff, it seemed like both Kraft and Bill Belichick were on the same page about the way they spent. Yep. It never seemed like they weren't. Uh, the Chiefs this year, with a massive contract to Patrick Mahomes, were still under the average for cash spending and won the Super Bowl. Right. Like cash spending is like I don't know. And they Patriots just spent all that cash. Like I'm not worried about the about whether or not Robert Kraft is willing to invest in this team. If we go a couple of years here and they're not willing to spend on players, then yeah, sure. But I haven't seen 
The biggest problem is they don't draft good players, so they don't pay good players to stay. That's where you get most of your good players is by drafting them. You don't draft well, you're not going to spend well. Like that's and they have and, and the end of the Brady year, you have a ton of dead money on the books because you have mm. Brady contract, the the one point the Gronk contract, the Antonio Brown contract. You had yeah. some stuff with like the COVID year with people who sat out and then came in another year, and I think that messed up some of the ways they were expecting on using the cap. Yep, yeah, a lot of things in there that made it a non-traditional money expenditure. And the second they got out over that, they spent as much in free agency as they possibly could to maximize it in right. a way that wasn't good. Like that's, I think my biggest fear in free agency, I think, might be the opposite of yours, Pat. I don't want to see them go out and say, we're just going to spend to the cap again, spend, spend, spend. We're going to buy every player on the market because that's how you end up being the Jacksonville Jaguars. Right. And there's a a middle ground. You maximize how good the team can be, but you don't overpay just to say you spent the money. I I do agree. I agree with you on that. I just think you're in a unique situation where you have two premium free agents that are on your team. You have to pay those guys. They're both going to want decently big money for their position. Now, again, they aren't the highest paid positions in football, right? Mike Alman is a right tackle. Maybe. Doug is a safety. Maybe. And again, and and you pointed this out before, and, and we'll we'll talk about it. But but ultimately, unless Unwenu decide, and what's going to make my decision for me is that. What's going to happen when I'm one who signs with another team? Will I'm one who signs with another team and and sign as a right tackle? Or will he sign with another team and sign as a guard? Because if he signs as a guard and the Patriots believe that they have oh they have an okay situation at guard, they're happy with the way Cole Strange is playing on le- at left guard. They like what they saw from City So as a rookie at right guard. They have Andrews in the middle. If I'm one who's not going, if he's not willing to play right tackle for you, then I I don't necessarily hate the idea of letting him go. Now the problem is the last time you let your best offensive lineman walk in free agency, and by the way, got nothing in return because this exact same thing happened in 2021 with Joe Tooney. You didn't even get a comp pick back for Joe Tooney because you spent extra money, and. That's the problem. You're going to spend money in free agency this year because you have so much. Even if you don't spend to the cap, right, you're going to spend money in free agency this year. And so now you're letting Mike on when he walk, and you're getting not one damn thing in return, not one thing in return. And so that's a hard that's a hard pill to swallow for me that you're letting the, your best player walk. And I, I'd make a strong argument. I think it's the correct argument that he's the best player they have on offense. You're letting that guy walk and getting nothing in return. That's that's tough. Yeah. Well, I, I think the other thing, the one X's and O's nugget we did get in the press conferences from Alex Van Pelt, he was asked about how he wants to play offense, and he did say that basically most of what they did in Cleveland was him, and he's willing to change from it, but it seems like you know that's that's what he wants to do. The style of offensive line play in Cleveland – is not necessarily one that suits what Michael Wenu does, whether we're talking about guard or tackle. Yep. And if they identify ways to get guys who they think are better at that position in there, I can be okay with them moving on. Um, you know, it's just, it becomes a riskier proposition. 
if you want to move on from on Wenu because he only wants to play guard, he doesn't want to play for you as a tackle, and you think you can get a better, you know, guard or tackler or whatever, you can use that money better on your offensive line. I'm okay with that. You just have to show me you have a plan. I think the same goes for Kyle Duggar. If you think that, you know, Kyle Duggar at $16 million a year or whatever it could end up being isn't the best value when he's best near the line of scrimmage and Jabril Peppers is there and you'd rather spend half of that and get a free safety and the other half and go get a a rotational corner or pass rush or whomever to help fill that, I'm okay with that schematically. I think that makes sense. But uh, you have to show that you have the plan. And this is the tough part of this is I think if you know at the deadline the way things are going, you're, you're probably saying you sell, but it's just, you know, it's Bill Belichick and he's not going to sell and he's not right. going to tank in his last year. And I don't think things would have gone well if you forced him to make a move. You don't no. fire him at midseason because that's that's way worse. You can't do that. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it might be one where there aren't there's just a lot of tough options and you have to deal with, you know, some of the realities of this that, you know, don't exist in like a video game. When If it's a video game and you're doing it, you're, you're probably just trading the guys at the deadline if you know they're not coming back because you don't have to yeah. deal with the politics of the situation and the legacy concerns and the emotions of it. Right. This is the real world where all of that is part. Um, yeah, 100%. Listen, I, I, you know, I almost, I look at it and almost think that I think it makes sense for the Patriots to franchise Mike Omwenu. And I understand, and and where they place guard or tackle. I mean, if you place tackle, the hard thing about tackle is that they combine the right and left tackle, so the number's a little bit higher than you'd like. I think that I think that it's. I thought it was one tag for the whole offensive line. I could be wrong. I don't know. It may be right. Either way, it, it's it's a fairly high number. But the thing is that it's one year. Like I said, he's your best offensive lineman, and I don't think it's particularly close. To be honest with you. David is a good player, but he's he's at the end of his career. He's just not quite as good as he used to be. So to me, give that one year to Onwenu and see what happens. And if he plays great in the system that you want to run this year, well, great. You have the guy that you want. And if he doesn't, you can trade him halfway through the year, or you can or you can let him walk at the end of next year. And if you let him walk at the end of next year. Maybe you don't spend as much in free agency next year, and you're able to get a third-round comp pick pick for him. Like it, the opposite thing happened with Joe Tooney. They franchised Joe Tooney before the 2020 season, and they didn't have to do that. And if they didn't do that, then they would have gotten a third-round compact pick for him in 2021, right? Yeah. But instead, they franchised him, had him play on a useless year in 2020 where they went seven and nine. He was good, of course, because he's Joe Tooney. And they let him walk the next year. And it was like, why did we do that? And then drafted a guard in the first round. And so I just, to me, I feel like franchising, give him one more year and see what happens. My issue is that if you franchise him, you got to pay him. It's one tag for the offensive line and it's a hair under $20 million. Okay. I'm okay. They have the money. They have the money for it. The thing is, if you sign him to a contract, you're probably paying him like 15 million a year. Yep. My guess. And it's going to be less than that in the first year because you can backload it a little bit. I think if you like him enough to bring him back, then you just sign him. You just 
pay him what he wants and find a way to make it work. I think that, to me, the tag only makes sense if you're doing some kind of a tag and trade. Um, and I would say the same for Kyle Duggar too. They have the money to pay both of these guys. Right. And they're both young enough that if you want them back, you probably want them back for the long term. So don't, I wouldn't mess around with the tag. I would just sign them if you want them. And if you don't, obviously it's a riskier decision because you're going outside the building with it. Doesn't mean it's a bad one. I actually, um, Eric Eager of um, Sumer Sports put out an mm-hmm. article earlier today that I was reading, and he talked about how both safety and guard are two of the value spots in the free agent market and two spots where you can find good players. And that's one of those where, all right, if that's if I went it was a guard and both of these guys want top of their position money and you know one might not, neither may be a scheme fit for what you want to do, I can see the argument for moving forward and going another way because if it's if, you know, if you if instead of giving Michael Wenu money, you're going to let City So play and you're going to pay that money to Michael Pittman instead, right? I can get I can get behind that. Um, yeah, I don't hate I, it. I mean, big, yeah, the, the big issue they have is that basically the only way to routinely find offensive tackles is by drafting them. Correct. And as of right now, if they if Wenu is not a tackle or they don't feel comfortable with him as a tackle, then they need two tackles for next year. There's no there's no good way to ensure you're going to have one tackle for next that's year, correct. let alone two. That so, you know, that's that's what's going to make this a multi-year process. And also, I know, I think we still wanted to do takeaways from this season. I don't know if we want to get into that because I can segue into it. Um, Maybe. we got to do an ad read first because we're, like, running yeah. way late. Well, that, so, that. so that'll be a, a tease. That'll... That's a hint at one of my takeaways from this season. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right, let's oh, do a quick ad read, and then we'll... Uh, a question, I'll answer quickly before we do it. Yes, yeah. does the franchise tag still count towards the salary cap? Yes, it does. The advantage of doing it, if it costs so much, is that the player doesn't have a say in it. You hit mm-hmm. them with the tag, and they have to stay for a season. So if you're having trouble negotiating with somebody, it's kind of the get-out-of-jail-free card for a year, as long as you're worth paying them. And not just that, but in this hypothetical situation with Anwenu, if you're not sure he's going to fit into the scheme that you're with, but you think he's too good to let him walk, you can sign him to a one-year deal, essentially, and see what happens and then let him go at the end of next year or work on a long-term deal with him at the end of next year. And so, and I, that's kind of how I look at it. Like, I don't want to let our best offensive lineman walk. And then be like, oh shoot, he really could have worked in our system. We blew it, right? I, I don't want that to happen, and so um, that's where I'm at with it. But again, it is. It's. it's I mean, it's. T- it's a tough sell because it's a lot of money. But the Patriots have a ton of money, and they're allegedly willing to spend that money. And so, if they're willing to spend that money, you're not going to sign 15 guys in free agency for 20 million dollars each. So, like, you can throw close to 20 million dollars at Michael Wenu if you feel like. We need to keep this in and build our offensive line, but we'll see. Anyways, all right, ad read. Here we go. <clears throat> I've, I I a live one. Yeah, I I, I blew <laughs> it. Forgot to record it. And you know what happened is that is that our guy Amit sent me another one, and I was like, okay, I'll use it. And it was in the wrong format, and I was like, oh, my dumb brain didn't know how to fix it. Whatever, it didn't matter. So, anyways, here we go. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 
If you win, if your first bet wins, bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit fanduel.com slash Boston and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. 21 plus and present in mass. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GamesenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. All right. So, do you want to get into takeaways? I only have two, um, sure. but we can we can do as many as you'd like, sir. Uh, yeah, I did. We wanted to have takeaways from kind of the season as a whole, lessons yeah. we learned from kind of the non-Patriot stuff as well as the Patriot stuff to apply to next year. I, I have three, so if you have two, then we can I can go first and we can just alternate. Love it. That's perfect. Yeah. You're going to see mine are very heavily Super Bowl-centric here. Um, my top one, special teams. It matters. I think we saw that in a big way this season. And the Super Bowl game that went to overtime and was yep. decided, you know, in extra time there and in the final possessions, it came down to you know, the smallest of margins. In a lot of ways, it came down to a ball bouncing off of somebody's foot on a punt return because you didn't get the Peter call right and people didn't get out of the way. That leads to a turnover and, you know, a game with Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey and all these guys comes down to a, a rookie day three pick who doesn't execute a special teams assignment correctly. That's how that's the margins we're dealing with here. And you now we there's it's easy to talk about guys like one through thirty at the top of the roster. Right. The other the other sixteen, seventeen guys, eighteen guys, whatever it is who are active on game day matter too. And, you know, making sure you have a solid roster all the way through in all three aspects is huge. You're not going to win without it. I like it. I like it. Uh, the first one for me is is similar to yours, but it's that coaching matters. Is that, you know, we talk about obviously Patrick Mahomes is incredible and, you know, and, and he wins another Super Bowl and he's the best player in the NFL. And that's why the Chiefs win. And that's true. However, Andy Reid's also a fantastic head coach. And... You look at the overtime decision. You look at some of the decision making, some of the decisions that they make ahead of time, and how prepared the Chiefs are for the moment. And it's also, and, and of course, the players have something to do with it, right? But you just always feel like you felt with the Patriots when when they were in their heyday that you have a chance at the end of the game. All you have to do is hold on, and you have a chance. And part of that comes obviously with great players, but part of that comes to coaching as well, where they're coached up to be like, hey, don't panic. Don't freak out. Everything's fine. We're not – nobody's screwed. It's no big deal. Like we, Those are things I think that are super important that get overlooked, right? We sit there and talk about it's a player's game, and it is a player's game. Don't get me wrong. It's a player's game, 100%. But coaching is a big part of it, and that gets lost in the shuffle at times, um, and it shouldn't. And it shouldn't. And, and so um, I, I think that coaching matters so much to what it is that you're doing. Um, and so that's that's my first takeaway. I like that. I think we saw that big time all throughout the postseason. I think it's huge. Yeah. Um, my second one, you need a quarterback 
who can handle pressure, who can operate under pressure. Yeah. We saw this with Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi in New England and, you know, the way pressure impacted both of them. We saw it in the Super Bowl. In a lot of ways, the other difference in this was that in two different plays, in crucial moments, Brock Purdy couldn't execute under pressure, and in big moments, Mahomes did. We saw that in the conference championship games, too, being able to handle the pass rush and make plays in spite of it. You know what we never talked about this season? The Ravens, the top team in the AFC, had a rotation at left tackle because they didn't trust their guys, and they were still trying to figure it out and you know figure out what's going on there. And they made it to the AFC championship game, and they were the top team in the regular season. Why? He had a quarterback where it didn't matter with his running ability and ability to create and ability to get rid of the ball quickly. You know, it didn't, it didn't matter. You and it's I just talked about how hard it is to find offensive linemen in the NFL. Yep. Patriots probably are not fixing this offensive tackle situation in the next year, two years, three years. It's probably gonna be, you know, some band-aids in there while they try to make it work. That means whoever's back there playing quarterback has to be somebody who you can put in a situation like that and they can still, you know, be productive. Be a guy who can avoid sacks, get rid of the ball, do it without turning the ball over. And if you can do all that and create big plays, even better. That's the ideal. Um, But, you know, you can't – you got to do something. You can't take a lot of sacks. You can't throw a ton of picks. You got to – you definitely can't do both of those things. And I think we saw – we've seen that. The last two seasons, really. So, yeah, yeah. got to be better. I, I think it's a great one. It's a great point. And, you know, you look at the best quarterbacks in the league and what they can do and and so on and so forth. And I think that that's totally true. And and so kind of leads to my next point, maybe not so much, but kind of leads to my next point, which is you need to be multiple. You have to be able to do multiple things. You can't just throw the ball. You can't just rely on – the short game. You can't just rely on the deep game. You and it goes for defense as well. But like you have to be able to score and move the ball in different ways because there are coordinators out there that are good enough to stop you. And you know, you, you to me, it's a little bit of both, but like this is where the Ravens, we didn't talk about the Ravens. You you mentioned the Ravens, we didn't talk about them because he could deal with pressure. The coaching falls apart. Why did the coaching fall apart? Because they stopped using both facets of their offense. They stopped running the ball, which is insane to think about at that point. And so, you know, for me, it, it becomes a situation where you look at it and say, you have to be, a, you have to feel comfortable in doing everything. Were the Chiefs running on the 49ers all game? No. But Pacheco had an okay game. He didn't do great, but he had an okay game. And when that wasn't working, they started using swing passes and quick passes and things like that to supplement their running game. They said, okay, we can't sit in the pocket for four seconds and throw downfield every time. We have to do it in a different way. And so I think for me that that's – and it seems kind of obvious, but that to me is one of those things where it's like you have to be able to do both. You can't just run it like you're Tennessee, right? But you also can't just pass it because you're not going to succeed when you do that either. The more ways you can win, the harder you are to stop. Yep, exactly. Yeah. My final one here, um, going a little bit more small picture than that one. Yeah. Separation is key if you're a wide receiver. Oh, God. Yeah. This is like 
I, that's just like the number one thing for me now. Obviously, there's a New England aspect to that with what we watched, but you watch the Super Bowl and how San Francisco's receivers were not consistently able to beat press and create separation. Um, and Debo, I think, was a big part of that. They leaned on him big time in the game plan, and he couldn't create separation on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm not super interested in paying big money for guys who – can't you know win routes and create separation on their own and also when it comes to drafting a receiver you know i will take i like romo dunze a lot i'm going to take malik neighbors over him because he creates more separation yep keon coleman is an athletic freak who can box dudes out but give me a dude like oh you know lad mcconkey or whatever who wins off of press and who can win at the top of his routes and who doesn't need to make all those contested catches um i think that's much more reliable for you know what a team needs going forward in the modern NFL because corners are really good at what they do and you need receivers who can still beat them. Uh, especially, you know, if you got a young quarterback and you're probably not going to be able to pass block that well because that's very hard to do, the receivers need to be open. <laughs> Otherwise yeah. you're gonna be thrown into traffic a ton and getting picks. That's correct. Yeah. And so and I guess this isn't really a takeaway from the league, but I think that you know, it's it's a testament to kind of San Fran. You look at San Francisco and, you know, it, old man old man mob is saying that the Patriots need to take May or, or Daniels at, at three because they need an elite quarterback. The problem is, is that one of the quarterbacks started the Super Bowl was drafted in the literally the last pick of the draft, right? And so what does that tell us? Not much, but what it tells you is that you need and the Patriots, you know, some, and I forget who the who the quote was, but basically someone was saying that you know, the Patriots intimated that, and I don't know if it was a direct quote, I don't think it was, that they weren't going to get relevant again without the right coach and the right quarterback, right? The key word to me there is right. It doesn't matter if you draft a quarterback at three. That doesn't make a difference. Great, you drafted a quarterback at three, that's awesome. Is he good? Because if he isn't good, if he isn't the guy, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter kansas city was in a similar situation they drafted trey lance at number three overall and he sucked he sucked and it almost tanked them luckily they found brock party off the scrap heap jimmy g had to come in and continue to start because they couldn't have this other guy right like it almost destroyed them but it didn't destroy them why didn't it destroy them because they number one they were able to find this guy off the scrap heap who plays pretty well and number two, they had built up a team around him that was so good and so talented that they were able to overcome a little bit of his shortcomings. Now, Purdy, in the biggest moments, didn't make the plays. I don't know if he's the guy, right? I don't know if he is or not. And so we can have that debate. I'm not. We're not going to have that debate here. But like, but he got them. He got them there, right? And and a lot of it, you know, was was because of the guys around him. Well, not only that, you know, remember what I said at the top of the, not the top of my middle point about quarterbacks who, you know, can avoid right. sacks. But from what I have seen, the stat that we know best right now that translates from college to the NFL for quarterback play is pressure to sack rate. So that's how often a pressure from the defense actually turns into a sack. Yep. Brock Purdy was very good at this in college. He had a pressure to sack rate of 12.9% for context, a 
of the top six guys in the draft this year, that would be better than all of them, except for Bo Nix and Michael Penix. Yep. Um, it's a little bit better than J.J. McCarthy, and then May and Caleb Williams are a little bit above that. And I think Jaden Daniels, I think, has the highest of anybody, um, which makes me concerned there. But, you know, Brock Purdy avoids sacks. He's been pretty good at it. His issue, I think, what, what we saw was not having the athleticism to turn some of those plays from incompletions into completions or whatever. Like he's, yeah. he can avoid the sacks, but you know, Mahomes avoids the sacks and turns it into a touchdown. And that's, that's correct. You know, yeah. yeah. So hard to and, deal with. And listen, by the way, I, I, you know, I don't want you to think that I'm saying they shouldn't take a quarterback at three. They, if they believe that one of those guys is the guy, they should take him at three. Right. But if they like Bo Nix or they like Michael Penix Jr., and who knows what the medicals are going to look like on Penix. I don't know what the medicals are going to look like. I would be willing to say, even if the medicals don't look good, right? Like, put Michael Penix in a in a uh, Malcolm Mitchell box, right? Where the medicals look really bad, but you can get a guy that has the talent to be a first-round pick. He should be a first-round pick. He should be a top-10 pick with the way he played this year, the way he avoids sacks, the way he moves and maneuvers in the pocket. His arm is incredible. He should be a top-10 pick, but he's not going to be a top-10 pick because of all the injury history, and we don't know what the medicals are going to look like at the combine. He's and also so he, old. <laughs> and he's old. And so he is old, for sure, yeah. right? But if he drops to the second round, which I think, he, which I, I'd be shocked if he went in the first round at this point, unless something crazy turns around. I, I might even think he might drop to the third round. Yeah, that's and what I was going to say. If that happens, if that happens, yeah, I'm interested. Hint: Monday night, this little that's a, that's a little teaser for Monday night. Um, if that happens, I think you jump all over it because even if he only plays a few years, even if he only plays a few years. You get that guy in the third round, and he can ball. He's a baller. Now, if his knees are only going to last him five years in the NFL, well, then that's so be it. Malcolm Mitchell, you drafted him in the fourth round. He would have been probably a first round, fringe first-round pick. And he only played the one year, but he won you a damn Super Bowl. Right? Now, Michael Penix is going to win your Super Bowl. But still, you know what I mean? Like, you get the idea that the value of it starts to be so good that it becomes difficult to turn down. Um, and I think that it's realistic to think he's going to end up in the third round just because of the medicals. Yeah, no, I, I think that's totally fair. I think late second, early third is probably where Penix ends up. Yeah. Uh, and he, he and Nick's are interesting because they've been the best at avoiding pressure at the college right. level. Uh, Nick's, I think, I mean, you just worry about his ceiling because he's played, I think, I think he's played 61 college games, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> It's right. an insane number. And it's, at a certain point, you're like, what are we doing? Better he's going to get. Uh, yeah. I think he's a backup right now. And I think he's probably a quality backup, but I don't know if he's ever going to be anything more than that. He's probably right. better than what Zappy gives you right now and probably better than what Mac gives you. But I don't, he might be, you know, a, a Sam Howell level quarterback who can play for a year, but you still, you know, you're looking for a guy. Panics is interesting. I think he has a higher ceiling and also a lower floor. Um, yeah. But yeah, I do agree with your broader point that you take a quarterback at three if you like a quarterback at three. Don't take a quarterback at three just to say you took a quarterback at three. Correct. Yeah, that's that's going to be the key, and that's the thing they have to get right. And if they get it wrong, they're going to be in trouble. They're going to be in trouble. So 
Um, so we'll see. Ole Miss mob, to answer your question, I just saw you start it. To answer your question, please do send in mock drafts for Monday night. I have a mock draft coming out. My mock draft 2.0, which I finished today, is coming out on Monday. We're going to talk about it on the show on Monday night, but we're also going to talk about um, we're also going to talk about some uh, some mock drafts that people do that people submit as well. So, um, what's our email? Our email is Pat's Nation Network at gmail.com. Just Pat's Nation Network at gmail.com. Super easy. All right. So yeah. send us an email with some mock drafts. We already got a few uh, in there. So send us an email with some mocks um, and we'll read them on the air and we'll talk about them and we'll discuss. The MHJ question is interesting. That's what I had in my first mock. I think I had my mock draft 1.0. I had them taking Harrison at three. You know, I don't know. I don't know which way they're going to go, but. Um, but it is interesting. Hey. I don't know if I'm going to have them stay at three and take a quarterback at all. I don't have them in this mock. Spoiler alert. I don't have them in this mock draft. I don't know if I'm going to have them do that at all in any of my mocks. But I might. I'm not sure. We'll I'll see. do. I think here's the thing. I think if if May is there, I'm still interested in that just because yeah. like I like Daniels. If the Patriots had, you know, gone seven and ten and had a pick wherever that lands them, and Daniels is on the board. I'm interested right. there. Yeah. But with third pick and the potential to pick, you know, a truly elite wide receiver prospect or trade down and pick up some really nice capital going forward, taking a quarterback with some of the red flags Jaden Daniels has. We talk about pressure to sack rate. He's had some real issues there. Talk about a real Looney Tunes runner who, you know, take some of the wildest hits I've ever seen somebody take his injury concerns there because of that and his frame. Um, he doesn't have the strongest arm. Yeah. He's, he's a good athlete, but he's not a Lamar level athlete. He's a good, he can read the field well, but he's not elite at that. I think there's enough red flags. I don't know how I feel about him at three. May on the other hand is already better in the pocket with his pocket presence and younger and did it with worse weapons. So I yeah. still, Still have questions there. You know, I think that's still a project, but if he's there at three, I'll be in that way. Yeah. Uh, and that is all one word, Pat's Nation Network at gmail.com. Um, so, so yeah. All right. Um, I think that's it. We're going to do our, our final uh, final things, or did you want to do – did you want to talk about anything else? I think that I was think it, right? That's, I think that's it for me. When do we – when does free agency actually open? I got I to gotta Google this. Uh, the – I think it's in two, like two and a half weeks. The uh, legal tampering period starts in two and a half That's weeks, I believe. I think it's like March twelfth. That's a, that, that it might be, be right. it might be the eleventh and the thirteenth. It's something yeah, like that. Yeah. The eleventh is when the tampering period starts. The thirteenth. That's the Monday. Right. Right. Yeah, the eleventh is the Monday. The thirteenth is the Wednesday. Is when people can officially start signing. So that's okay. We're getting we're getting there. Yeah. Yep. Three so we're almost there. We'll, we'll it's going to be wild. Let me tell you something, man. I'm going to be on a <laughs> – this is insane. I'm going on a school trip um, for whatever. I'm, I'm going on a school trip, um, and it's a – I'm going with a bunch of teachers, and so it's like a conference that we're going to whatever in Chicago, out, just outside of Chicago. And the dates are literally March 10th to March 4th. We're coming home on the, on the night of the 13th. So I'm like, the 11th, I'm going to be in, like the 11th at noon is like the legal tampering period or something like that. I'm going to be in a conference and my phone is just going to be blowing up with all, 
with all of you're, them. You're gonna you're gonna come out of that to so many texts. From and me. I'm gonna be like, God damn it, dude. And we're gonna, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm debating taking my stuff with me. Uh, I don't know if I'm gonna, but I'm debating it. I might just be. Yeah, who knows? We might have some time uh, at night. We'll see what happens. Um, I think I do get my own hotel room, so perhaps we'll we'll do a, a instant reaction show if some big some big news drops. Uh, if not, I can handle it. You know, yeah, I know. people I, are people are coming to the show for me anyway. So. That's a good point. That's a great point. They're not coming to me. They're not coming for me. <laughs> that's for sure. So, uh, but anyways, so I was just like, oh my god, ter- terrible timing. My sister is pregnant, and she is due like the fifteenth or something like that. And I'm like, bro, like if you. Uh, yeah, it's it's bad timing. But what do you, you think? Name, name the kid so, after whoever the biggest free agent the Patriots sign is. Well, that's I said to her. I'm like, listen, man, you gotta. I'm like, you gotta either have the baby before I leave or wait until I come home. What do you want? What do you want me to do? That's the way I go. Have a new announcement, Mike Evans Lane. <laughs> Mike Evans Lane. <laughs> oh, that'd be good. That'd be good. So, all right. Um, Trivia, and then yes. Yes, let's do let's do trivia and then we'll uh, we'll go from there. So we are going to announce another winner. We'll do that next week, I think. Uh, yeah, this second, will be our our second trivia winner. Yeah, this will be our last trivia question of oh, this segment, and we'll do a winner it. after. Love it. Yeah, who won the uh, last one? The last one was uh, Gary Gary Sauerbutz. Oh, Gary took him. It took oh, the friggin' thing like a year and a half to get to him, but it got to him. Just took forever. They had to send a replacement. It was a whole mess. Oh boy! But it got so, there. It did. It did make it. Yes. Yes. All right. This uh, this week's trivia question, and we're staying in the theme of both free agency and the dynasty being out right now. Okay. 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 Which 2001 Patriots free agent signing scored the team's only receiving touchdowns in that year's playoff run? Oh, I know. I know. Answers in the chat. I'm sure somebody's going to jump right on this one. I mean, come on now. Come on. If you're watching the Dynasty, you should know this. But watching the Dynasty, you should know that, period. You should. But, you know, you got to have something refreshing in your head. That's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Do we want to – well, people will throw answers in there. Yes. Uh, Throw answers in there, and we have our uh, This Week in Sports History – and then, yeah. uh, then we'll I wrap got an up. Interesting one today. All right, I like it. Here we go. And now for something we think you'll really like: this week in sports history. All right, why don't you go first? All right. Reading from my my trusty page of day calendar. Ooh, okay, okay, okay. You're gonna like this one, Pat. Okay. Um, this is February twenty second, nineteen fifty eight. Okay. Nebraska upsets Kansas 43 to 41 at Nebraska Coliseum in Lincoln. Senior Jimmy Kubaki of the Cornhuskers starts the game on the bench in street clothes because of an injured knee. Coach Jerry Bush sends Kubaki to the locker room to change into his uniform, and the 5'10 guard enters the contest with 246 to play in Nebraska leading by two. Kansas center Wilt Chamberlain. Ties the score, 41-41 on a basket with 134 to play. Nebraska has time for a final shot, and Kubaki sinks the 15-footer with just two seconds to go for the victory. Just two weeks before that, Kansas had beaten Nebraska 102-46. to Golly! 102-46 <laughs> to losing. That's crazy. 
Then, yeah, like 102 to 41 in points scored in just two weeks. That's college basketball for you. That's crazy. That is crazy. Love it. And yeah, dude, you have, I mean, how do you have Will Chamberlain score 41 points in a game? That's insane. Yeah. And I also, I love the, the player being injured and then subbing him in oh, at so the good. end. So it's good. fantastic. It's like, uh, what's it called? Um, the the Patriots called some guy in, like from the stands, one to one, one <laughs> literally from the stands. Like he was drunk, I think, <laughs> in the stands. They were like, uh, so and so in the game, uh, we need you to come <laughs> on the field. We don't have, we don't have any players. Oh, so, I love yeah. that. Oh, uh, it's so good. So I have two. I have two. Uh, can't believe you didn't right. use this one. I uh, realized but... I had a second in here, by the way. Which oh, I you do. Years. You do. Yeah. All right. Is your second one from 1980? No. Okay. The well, second one's from two years ago. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So I'll let, I'll read mine, then you can read your second one. Um, so on February 22nd, 1980, the miracle on ice happened. The U.S. national hockey team beat the heavily favored Soviet Union 4-3 to at Lake Placid, one of the biggest upsets uh, in Olympic history, a lot of people don't know, a lot of people don't remember, that was not the gold medal game. They had to go on to win the gold medal game. That was a silver medal game. Um, and they had Finland to go on. Medal, right? and, yep, and I think it was Finland, yeah. And win the gold medal game afterwards. So, uh, do you believe in miracles? One of the yeah, one of the best moments of all time. And that movie is so good. I grew up Incredible. watching that movie. Kurt Russell, I mean, my goodness. Nailed it. They nailed that movie. It's such a yeah. good watch. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mine, we're going to – it's one day off, but it was, it's two years ago tomorrow. Okay. Um, this is a, a personal one for me. My Providence Friars in college basketball played what I think is probably the most insane game in the history of the team. Okay. Um, they're at home against Xavier, and with a win, it means that their next game, they will have a chance to win the conference for the first time in the history of the program. With about five minutes left in the game, the other team uh, goes up. By, Xavier goes up by three points. Uh, they hit a basket because one of our players slips in a really embarrassing fashion, and it's you know it looks like you know, this is going to be where Xavier pulls away. Well, it turns out he slipped because there was water on the floor, and they oh, discovered boy. on this abnormally warm February day that the snow that was on the roof had begun to melt and was coming in through one of the fans. <laughs> Into the oh stadium. And so the game goes into, I believe, a 20-minute delay, 20-minute rain delay for a basketball game. They come out of it. The Friars tie it up, end up tying it up again at the buzzer. It goes to overtime. goes to a second overtime. Xavier hits a buzzer beater three in the second overtime <laughs> to force a third overtime, where the Friars eventually outlast them and win uh, and would go on to to win the conference for the first time in the next game. But with the delay in the three overtimes, the game went three and a half hours for a college basketball game. Those usually last about two. It is the single most exhausting sporting event I have ever watched. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's and it one. also featured, I, I mentioned, I forgot to mention the injury part too. It reminded me of it. Uh, Providence's top guard had a, a hernia in the game and kept re-injuring it during the game, going back to the locker room in crazy amounts of pain, getting it stretched out, and then coming back to play. It was just like running back and forth between the training room and the court. That's wild. That's wild. Uh, by the way, I do have a little bit more information about the guy that got called from the stands. 
Uh, my dad texted me his name. Bob Harpo Glado uh, was a running back at Notre Dame. So it was to begin the 1970 season, September 20th, 1970. They actually beat Miami to start off the season. Um, they did finish 2-12 and 12 with an average of 10.6 points per game. Um, but but, um, but as the teams were getting ready, the Patriots didn't have all their players. So the PA announcer got on the PA and called called Bob Glodeau. And I guess Johnny Outlaw was also called from the stands for the same game. They were both cut, put on the inactive list, and then reactivated right before the game because they didn't have enough players, I guess. Glodeau actually made the tackle on the opening kickoff of the game. <laughs> he was in the stands, like in street clothes, got dressed, made the tackle on the opening and the opening kickoff. And I think they outlawed uh pretty sure they outlawed it after that season that you couldn't do that anymore. But um but yeah, there you go. That so is... oh, glad Joe, I'm sorry, I is I mispronounced it there. I was corrected. Um anyway, so that's so that's that. Okay. My my last on this day in history, um February 22nd, night eight, I'm sorry, 1893 was the first Iron Bowl. I don't Ooh, know. That's there good. you go. Auburn beats Alabama 32 to 22. Why was it played in February? I have no idea. Doesn't make any sense to me, but sure. First Iron Bowl, Auburn beats Alabama 32 22 in Birmingham, I Alabama. I love it. Uh, Bob so Gladeau, by the way, is on Twitter. Uh, he hasn't tweeted in almost five years, and he has 22 followers. But well, this there you appears go. to be him. <laughs> oh, maybe we can get him on the show sometime, you know? <laughs> Everybody wants to go uh, ask him questions. But uh, anyways, so that's it. That's all we got. Um, Monday, we'll be back on Monday. Okay. Um, oh, I was, I'm sorry. One, one more update. Um uh, Apparently, this is, again, coming from my dad, the historian, works at the Patriots Hall of Fame, by the way, um, but has been a Patriots fan his whole life. He said the coach fired two players for not signing a new contract just before the game. And he was like, they both did sign new contracts. So he said, all right, see you later. And then and they pulled two guys out of the ground that they had cut a few days before. So complete That's insanity. Fantastic. Just complete I love, insanity. I love it so I love much. the old hijinks around. Oh, it's so good. Just, yeah. Yeah. Yep, and that, it's the Patriots had a fan run on the field during a play once, right? Like a they had, they did. They had a fan run on the field during a play. They had when they were playing at Fenway. I think it was the Dolphins. Was it the Dolphins when they were playing at Fenway? The 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 uh, fence was like right next to the back of the end zone, and they had a mm-hmm. guy reach over like it was a a game winning pass. So that I think it was the Dolphins, and a guy just, just reached over and down. batted the ball, <laughs> batted the ball away from the receiver. Uh, and the Patriots won the game, and the refs didn't see it or didn't call it or whatever, and that was the end of that. So, um, but yeah, yeah, lots of lots of craziness happened back back then. It was the it was the wild wild west back then. So, love it, but I love it. So, anyway, sorry, right, that's what we got. Uh, Monday night, we're gonna be back Monday night. My mock draft 2.0 drops Monday morning on uh, Pat's pulpit. We'll be discussing that, and then we'll also be going over uh, any other mock drafts that you guys uh, send in. So, again, if you want to email them in, it's Pat's Nation Network, all one word, Pat's Nation Network at gmail.com. Email those in. We'll read them on air, uh, and then we'll go from there. So that's what we got. So, anyways, thank you very much, everyone. We appreciate you guys.
And w when you email, if you're a guy who's in the chat, make sure you, you throw throw your name on there. So yes. You know, so we know. Well, obviously, some people don't use their real names or whatever. So if it if it isn't your real name, let us know. Uh, and then yeah. we'll and that if, way. And if you don't want us to say your real name, let us know. <laughs> That's also true. You might say, well, I don't want anyone to know what this terrible mock looks like. So, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, sorry. Well, thanks guys. We appreciate it. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you on Monday. Have a great weekend, everyone.